Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. Pull up a beanbag chair to the bar, sit back, maybe pour yourself a little cup of absinthe or whatever your poison is, and sit back and, and enjoy a couple of interviews that we have here. A little bit later on, Hugh Jackman, star of this weekend's Logan, will come by. Logan is one of the big X-Men Wolverine movies. Uh, he is very good in it, but you might be surprised to know that he had kind of a rough time in drama school, and he's going to tell you all about that coming up a little bit later on. For First up though, I want to talk to Chris Buck. Chris Buck is a photographer. Now, you may or may not know his name, but certainly your eyes will recognize a lot of his photographs. He has taken pictures of everybody from Barack Obama to Snoop Dogg, from Leonard Cohen to Donald Trump, from Jay-Z to Lena Dunham, from Louis C.K. to uh, Seth Rogen, William Shatner, David Croner, it goes on and on and on. He's taken photographs of everyone for the last 30 years or more for GQ Magazine and Esquire, all over the place. His new book is called Uneasy. Uh, it is Chris Buck Portraits from 1986 to 2016. It is a behemoth, a beautiful coffee table book with 338 photographs in it. I didn't count them. I was too busy drinking in the beauty of them all. He has a way of really connecting with his subjects and then presenting portraits unlike you've ever seen before of, of the people he's taking photographs of. And he's going to tell you how he does that in this next interview. So uh, sit back, enjoy, maybe learn a thing or two about how to take selfies how to take photographs, uh, and, and listen as he talks about everyone from James Gandolfini to Barack Obama. Here's Chris Buck. I was leafing through the photographs here. A lot of them I had seen before because you uh, are Canadian-born. Your dad actually worked for Kodak here in Canada. Uh, you've been based in the United States for almost three decades now. But do you think that having your dad, you often joke, I'm, I got into the family business. It, it, was that an influence on you at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it, you know, it's like, you know, emulsion ran through our veins. I mean, it was just, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, I never would have become a photographer if we hadn't had that influence. I mean, I had no idea how technical photography was. Right. And if I had, I never would have gone into it. Like, I'm not a technical person, you know, but, you know, because it was just a familiar thing. It's funny when you see actors, you know, actors' children go into the business, you think, oh, great or whatever. Yeah. But I kind of get it, you know, like. It's just something that's around and you grow up with it. And it's just a normal thing, you know, having cameras around and taking pictures. And I don't know, it just, you know, when, when it is, you know, going to like the, the, the Christmas party at Kodak every year and, right. you know, having the Santa Claus with the big Kodak logo behind, you know. Uh, do you still shoot on film? I do not. So basically it was a thing where the, the convenience of digital was so overwhelming and you know my clients were always like we love film just not on this job <laughs> <laughs> well it's probably much more expensive i would guess right it's just more the timing like yeah. you know if you shoot digital you can have an edit to your client within like an hour of the shoot right. whereas film it's like the next day you know and and it just you know even the cost over time really goes way down i mean for me it was really there's also, there was multiple factors that led me into it. One was, you know, I'm in my early 50s. For me to be shooting film feels like the old guy can't let it go. Right. 
And uh, do you think that studying at Ryerson, because when you were studying at Ryerson, I think that the idea was this would have been in the 80s, right? Like sort of 88, 89, probably um, around there somewhere. Mid, more than mid 80s. Yeah. Mid 80s. Uh, and I, I had friends that were studying photography and you were sort of being pushed into doing like corporate photography or, you know, art house photography. I don't even know what to call it, like landscapes and things that you could sell in galleries, probably. Portraiture of the kind that you were doing was kind of looked down on a little bit. And you had a teacher that t- pulled you aside. You had taken a picture of John Cale. Which is in the book. It's the first photograph in the book here. Uh, legendary uh, John Cale. And and uh, he said, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to take pictures of these people? Yeah, and at the time, I just kind of shrugged and made a joke. But I think over time, I've realized that, you know, as a young teenager, I wasn't getting the acceptance of my peers the way I wanted. I mean, I thought I was pretty awesome. But <laughs> my peers uh-huh. told me I was wrong. And so I think I looked to the outside world, to the larger world, and connected to... Almost anyone who was famous and kind of in the magazines, I had a, I felt a connection to, and I connected to that world, and in a weird way, that became the kind of macro version of the popular crowd, and by doing the photographs of them eventually, you know, later, I think it was a way for me to interact with them, but, you know, with the coverage of having a camera between mm-hmm. us, it's, it's, it's sort of a strange relationship, uh, and, you know, one I kind of kept up with the book, like, I don't ingratiate myself with the subjects. Mm-hmm. I really feel like I am separate, and I'm there, uh, you know, as a kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of critic in a sense. Yeah, for lack or of a, a documentarian word. or something. Well, or... But yeah, there's definitely, there's some attitude behind it. Like, I'm in there to do my thing, and they are going to have to suffer the consequences. <laughs> and in some people, in some cases, there's a lot of stories here, like your famous picture of Barack Obama. A couple of things happened. You shot it in the White House. And uh, he was chewing gum, so you had to tell the president of the United States, "Hey, get I, rid of that I gum." Said, I said, "Sir, <laughs> sir, are you chewing gum?" And he was like, "Oh no, don't worry, I'll take care of it." <laughs> I said, "Well, if I catch you again, I'll be talking to you about it." <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a, a pose that you wanted him to do, sort sure. of, and he said, "I don't do that." And you took the picture anyway. Yes. And so, and, and that seems to be kind of a recurring theme in uh, the stories that are in the back of your book yeah. here. Um, there are a lot of photographs that you've taken with subjects who are either super famous or super powerful, like Barack Obama, who have a, a, a very specific sort of idea about how they want to be portrayed. Uh, there's a great story about Johnny Rotten here. There's a fantastic photograph of him that doesn't look like too many other photographs of him because he usually does this sort of bulging eyes kind of thing. And you said, Johnny, can we can we lose that? Can we lose the bulging eyes? And he said, no, it's what I do, man. No, or something actually, what like he said that. was, I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That's right. And yeah, so the story is everything you asked him not to do, he said, well, I'm not doing that anyway. It's so, so bizarre. It's yeah. like he had this complex from being manipulated by Malcolm McLaren. Like, and I knew a lot about him. So I, I was kind of shocked to see how, like, whenever I asked him to do something, he'd sort of do it, but say, I'm not, you know, I'm doing it already, or, you know, <laughs> because he didn't like. To feel like people were controlling him, it was right. fascinating. I mean, he was actually very generous. It just he had to kind of get there on his own. And the photograph is amazing. Thank you. The, the photograph is, is is I've met him a couple of times, and he's actually a really sweet guy. Yeah. Uh, but it there's there's a layer of of there's a crust on him that I think you have to chip away through, and you have to earn his trust. I think before you get a photograph like oh, that. Thank you. Um, let's talk about quickly some other ones. We'll get to everybody else in a minute here, but um, talk about Leonard Cohen a little bit. Leonard Cohen, you say, was your favorite photo shoot ever. 
Well, I mean, just growing up in, in Canada and hearing his music, especially in college, I really connected to it. His album, Songs of Love and Hate, was my favorite. I think it was a very dark period for him. So it's it has the kind of the poetry of Leonard Cohen, but the kind of he's obviously struggling through something. Yeah. And and then so I got to shoot actually last minute. I was actually in L.A. to do that Billy Bob Thornton shoot, right. this kind of famous. And I got this call and I went to shoot with him. And it was just bizarre. Like, you know, here I am with like the man, you know, <laughs> and at one point I was, you know, kind of preparing and making notes. And he sat down next to me. I said, you know, this, I kind of confessed to him, you know, this shoot's really important to me. I'm a really big fan and I really want to get something great. And he looks at me and he says, well, if you're meant to get something great, there's nothing in this world or any other that can stop that from happening. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And he's like, and if you're meant to do something that really fails, there's nothing in this world or any other that can stop that from happening. And, you know, I was like, yep, that's very Leonard Cohen. Like, what are that, you going to do? You know? that, yeah, then, it, very Buddhist, Zen Buddhist. But there, right? I was crazy. At the end of the shoot, we shot for exactly two hours, and then he made lunch for my assistant and I. Wow. And I had a pastrami and rye with a side of chicken liver. Of course, because he's from Montreal, so right. what else are you going to have? He's like, oh, boys, I went to the deli today. I got some great stuff. <laughs> I'm speaking with Chris Buck. His his book is called Uneasy, Portraits from 1986 to 2016, and it contains photographs of everyone from Barack Obama, uh, Leonard Cohen, Jay-Z. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. There are... How many are in here? 338. 338 photographs in here, including a kind of famous picture of Donald Trump. Can you <laughs> yes. tell us about taking that photograph? Well, because you got a different side of him than a lot of people do. I think it really comes from... One thing I learned early on is to do to do pictures for myself. And what I mean by that is to really put myself and my, whatever, internal life or something into the pictures, even if it's of someone else. You know, Donald Trump was kind of a like a middling TV personality at the time, and his show was very successful, The Apprentice. Uh, but I did the kind of prescribed thing the magazine asked for, and I just, I, then I asked him to do one extra setup at the end. And he had this this interesting kind of slices of mirror kind of thing in his conference room. I just asked him to stand next to it, shot it with available light, maybe shot one roll, three minutes, and just he just stood there, and I shot it. And it was just got kind of a cool, weird picture of him. Yeah. Now cut forward 10 years, <laughs> and he's the president of the United States. Now this sort of strange, dark sort of portrait that's kind of more about me than about him suddenly becomes this much more powerful, meaning, meaningful thing. And didn't he have, we just have about a minute left, didn't he have ideas about the lenses you should be using as well? So Donald Trump, as you can imagine, wasn't just <laughs> going to stand there and have his photograph taken. Well, he's actually very charming and very funny. For that shoot, I had a number of extras for the main shots, and they were like friends of my wife and I, and they're all dressed in suits, and they're kind of all playing like mock Donald Trumps with little masks. <laughs> and we were shooting in the elevator, and... He said, oh, are you using a flat lens there? And I said, well, no, sir, I'm actually using a wide lens. He said, I think you should move to a flat lens. I said, Mr. Trump, are you telling me how to do my job? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And all my friends are laughing, and they're laughing at him and laughing at me. It was very sweet. And, you know, he was very charming about it. Then we go to the next setup, and I said, oh, you'll be really happy because we're using a flat lens for this. He said, that's good, and this is the one they'll use. You'll see. And, of course, he was right. <laughs> and, and have you been to Trump Tower recently? Yes, because I shot you, him again like, you, a, like a year and a half ago during the election campaign. Right. And, of course, I'm thinking, like, this is amusing and interesting, yeah. but this will never go anywhere. Yeah. I remember actually thinking, this is so bizarre. I really hope someone's filming this for a documentary you know, that right. might come out, you know, after. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's it, it continues. So you were just telling us a story <laughs> about your daughter. She's seven, 
and she has one of your photographs uh, that she will not have you remove from her room. Well, I, I just had this group show. Or it's in a, I was in a group show, and the picture was of Donald Trump with the, with the mirror, the multiple mirrors. And I brought the thing home. It was all framed and everything. And I just put it on her dresser, just, you know, leaning against the wall just for fun. And, and then my wife comes in, and she's like, uh, this is temporary, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 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 fine. So the next day when my daughter was at school, I, I took it out and put it back in my office. And then when my daughter came home, she was with her babysitter, and she went to show her the picture, and it was gone. And she said, Daddy, where's my picture? So I put it back on her dresser, and that's where it lives. But d- does she know who he is? Of course. I mean, it's such a... I mean, she's old enough. She knows what's going on. She also knows, as a Canadian, of course, I'm obsessed with American politics. Right. So she knows all about that stuff. She knows lots of presidents, and you know, she knows I photographed Obama, and she asked me questions about him. You know, when Trump was elected, a lot of our friends were very surprised and upset, yeah. and some of their kids were. And we really worked hard to make our daughter feel safe and feel like everything's going to be fine. And so her take on Trump is she's kind of vaguely amused by him. She, I think she just kind of knows he's part of the zeitgeist. Right. So I think it's sort of a connection of the culture with her daddy, and it just all comes together. And I think she kind of thinks it's funny just to have that picture there, and it's all good. One of your books, your previous book to this, had photographs of people that weren't really in the no, no, they are in the photographs, but hidden. Somehow. But they were, they were not, and they were not visible. They're yes, they're they're hiding. Yeah. yeah, and so is the James Gandolfini in that book? Because there's a great photograph of him here. He's not exactly hiding, but you don't see his face. Well, he's very shy. Like he, he, he was, he was so he was like the polar opposite of Tony Soprano. I mean, so Tony Soprano had vulnerability certainly, and was he would express it, but but James really was very, is a very gentle soul, like. And very much, obviously, he was, but he, you know, at one point he said to me, you want to see the kind of picture I want? Let me show you. And he got up and he went to the corner and he, he, he ducked his head into the corner and hit himself. What? And I was like, fascinating, you yeah. know? And so that shot of him, it's just basically him bending over and showing me, you know, his, I mean, his pants are on, but he's basically it's bending legs, over and yeah. showing me his backside, yeah. which just, he, he just did that. He's just horsing <laughs> around. But I think he'd be very pleased that that's the picture of him in the book. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. There's a, a story in the book uh, about Keanu Reeves, and I found it interesting that in, I think the photo dates to about 1989 or 1990. In 1988. 1988, and uh, you just saw him sitting somewhere and said, hey, can I take your photo? And he's like, all right. And, <laughs> and then you, you went around a corner and took a photograph Well, of it him. was at um, the, the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. It wasn't called TIFF yet then, but it was like... Festival of Festivals. So, yeah, so it was there, and... He was actually doing an interview, and someone said, uh, that's Keanu Reeves. And I'm like, who's that? He's like, oh, he's in River's Edge. I'm like, oh, River's Edge is a super cool movie. <laughs> and so I just went over to him, and I said, hey, I want to take a picture. And he's like literally in the middle of the interview. I don't know what I was thinking. And he said, oh, yeah, that would be great. Let me just finish this. And so he did, took his time and did his thing, and then we, we stepped away and into some nice light, and we shot a couple rolls of film. He was like super nice, sweet, just like, very, very like much like his character in Bill and Ted's Excellent sure. Adventure, like just kind of goofy and sweet. And I was, it was, it's funny because you know I shot him then. I've never crossed paths with him again, and it's been like you know whatever twenty nine years. Well, interesting because you got him to lift up his shirt. He's got a big <laughs> scar on his stomach, so you got him to lift up his shirt, and that's the photograph that's in the. In well, the book I was, here. there was a photo. There's a famous photograph of James Dean where his turtleneck is up yeah. um, on his face, and I had him do that. And by pulling his shirt up, I saw this scar on his belly, and I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And then he just sort of laughed and lifted it, and, I did, and that's how I got the shot. Also, you have a, a picture in here of ice 
Cube. No, Ice T. Ice T. Ice T. Yes. And he's got. Uh, he's got. Uh, you, well, you tell the story. You only took three or four pictures of him, and the, one of them made it in the book because it was very impromptu. Oh yeah, it was crazy. He was just. He was doing a show at um, the Masonic Temple. Yep. And then um, it was just after sound check, and he came out. You know, whatever he was going for for lunch or something, and and I just I knew I'd only have like you know one chance, so I just said. Hey, would you put your gun necklace in your mouth? And he's like, sure. And he put it in his mouth, shot three frames, and then he went off. Is it possible to have a favorite out of all those or, or something that you look back and go, oh, yeah, I remember I, that know, day. It kind of changes day to day. I mean, I think I like the kind of quieter, stranger pictures. Like just a picture of Ray Harryhausen in there. His eyes are closed. And it's the kind of thing, just something about those people that I call them niche celebrities that that the people who know who they are are like, cool, wow. You know, like the other day, someone commented on that I had a picture of W.G. Seabald in there, the the, the German yeah. um, author. And they're like, cool, Seabald. I'm like, that makes me so happy. <laughs> Who's the photograph of uh, that's just his eyes? It's 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 a blank wall yes. and just eyes. That's, um, that's Rivers Cuomo. From, from Weezer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. The idea was, it was actually, we came up with the idea driving to the shoot. And what we did is we... The idea is to have a you know the photo seamless, and we just cut two little holes for the eyes to look through. <laughs> and we we stopped at like a a gas station on the way to the shoot, and I bought a Pepno Bismol um, thing, and that was a perfect size to draw the circles <laughs> on the paper. And and that happened on the way to the shoot. How much is just improv while you're while you're there? It's really a mix. I I, I prepare a lot before the shoots. I, I make lists of ideas, and some of the ideas are cleared by the subjects and by their publicists and such, and and certainly by the magazines. But um, I'm I, I mean my motto is prepare, 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 and then be open, open, open. So yeah, Snoop Dogg's changing. a good example of that, right? He doesn't show up for one of the shoots, or shows up too late, right? And then you had to improvise it the second day Correct. and the photos are brilliant probably think, better than they would have been the first day because I think he just gave us more time I think he, it's hard it's hard to imagine but I think he actually felt bad for us right. and <laughs> I actually brought a, bought a big bottle of gin for him because of his famous song <laughs> Gin and Juice yeah. and he was like oh man I can't drink that stuff it makes me crazy <laughs> and so I'll keep it for my friends but he was high for the entire shoot I um, hope he can say that yeah he was uh, he was partaking a yeah. little bit yes <laughs> That was Chris Buck. His book is called Uneasy, Chris Buck Portraits, 1986 to 2016. It's a beautiful book. Check it out. It's available where fine books are sold. Uh, you might want to take a friend, though, because it is a behemoth. It might take a couple of you to carry it home, but this is a book that you want to have in your house, so check it out. Now, Hugh Jackman has been playing Wolverine uh, in movies like this weekend's Logan for a very long time, probably 16, 17 years. And temperament-wise, he doesn't have much in common with his most famous screen role. As the embodiment of Wolverine, a mutant blessed with miraculous healing powers but cursed with a bad hairstyle and some very deep existential angst, Jackman is the face of the character, but off-screen he is as gracious as his cigar-smoking X-Men alter ego is testy. I found that out uh, several times, actually, interviewing him. But this interview comes from a, a few years ago, but I thought it was a really fascinating look at a guy who is working on a very high level. His performance in Logan is confident, it's powerful, but in drama school, he wasn't that guy. In drama school, uh, he felt insecure, like I suppose a lot of people do, but he had some really interesting ways to get around that, and that's what we talk about here. So uh, here's a little chunk of a conversation I had with Hugh Jackman. 
Do you recall back when you're, you know, the first time your family saw you in something, or the first, you know, that that kind of moment that maybe he's having now? Is that something you can relate to in any way? Mm. Yeah, I do. Probably the first time I did something my entire family came to was when I was in London doing Oklahoma at the National Theatre, and probably for me at that point, my dreams as a acting student were. Weirdly, around the Royal Shakespeare Company, the National, the English, I held the English standard up to be the pinnacle. And when I was in the National Theatre, uh, I, I was like, wow, that's kind of, that's my dream. I, I, I haven't really worked anything else out. It wasn't so much Hollywood. So when my whole family were there, that was... That was very, very special for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I know I've certainly had, you know, career disappointments, things. You might have had a movie that you loved that maybe didn't yeah. perform, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, totally. that kind of thing. And and you have to sit back, and there's got to be a moment of self-reflection when you go, why did I love it so much and yeah. nobody else does or, or, or it didn't get the reaction I thought it would get? And you either choose to move forward mm. or you you, mm. you become that guy that we meet at the mm. beginning of the movie. I yes. Yeah. I, you know, for me... I, I had, it was a bit of an accident, but I did a show called The Boy From Oz um, and Peter, I, Allen. Peter Allen. Now, I'd been offered it four years before and it turned it down because I'd made this choice, this strategy to get into film, right? right. Which is what I was, I was always an actor and had somehow got into musicals. Anyway, when I saw the show, I, I knew it was going to be great, by the way. When I saw the show, it was as I knew. And I felt sick in the stomach because I was like, you didn't follow your gut instinct. You know, you thought you were doing the right thing. And, and it was really a difficult night for me, and it stayed with me. When they asked me, I think it was three or four years later, I said yes. I hadn't even told my agent about it. I said, yes, I'm in. And then we opened. We got really bad reviews. I mean, we were killed. We got killed. And there was a real moment of like, will we make it or will we not? Will we survive the winter? Um, we, we, it then picked up and actually became a massive hit. And the people who reviewed it badly a year later were reviewing it as this great smash hit. It was kind of interesting. But two things I learned from that. Even after the bad reviews, even after... I, I still knew in my gut that it worked. I was on stage. I, I kind of didn't believe them. I was like, hmm, I think you got it wrong. I, it's your opinion, fine, but I think you got it wrong. And secondly, if we failed... I was okay with it. I have done other things, which obviously I don't want to tell you specifically, where I'd been not so sure, maybe I thought it was strategically the right thing, and when it came out, it wasn't what I wanted or what I thought it might have been. It's really hard to live with. It's hard to face yourself in the mirror. Because you think you did it all for the wrong reason. So that was the turning point for me. From that point on, I mean, I think that we've seen different sides of you, you know, mm. singing, dancing on TV. You were in Toronto for mm. a couple of months doing all that. Mm. And you, you, you seem to have this kind of unique career mm. for me now where you can make the Wolverine movies and then the, in the very next breath do something, you know, all singing, all dancing. I don't know that there's any other career out there like it. It started more as a way to stave off unemployment. I'll be honest, when I came out of drama school, I was like, I'm going to do anything I can, man, just to keep working. And look, you're in Australia, maybe similar here, but probably not because of the proximity to America. But in Australia, they probably make, at best, 15 movies a year. You cannot... If you do one, if you do two a year, you're like the biggest working actor in Australia. Right. And the budgets are probably small. Of course, there's no living to be made, really. You cannot say, I'm going to be a film actor. I'm not doing TV. Yeah. I'm not going to do theatre or this or that. You've got to do everything. 
Um, and that's, so I kind of, I had a facility to do a number of different things. So I just kept working at all of them as a way to kind of spread the yeah. chances of unemployment, yeah. you know. So it sort of fell into a strength. It became, I, I didn't really mean it to be that, except that I found a drama school. I was happy and loved that eclecticism and ability. Like in, in drama school, you do Shakespeare, to movement, to circus skills, to singing, all in one morning. Yeah. And I know a lot of people hated it, and, and I've, I reveled in it. I loved it. So that's sort of, it's weird how it's evolved, you know? Have you always been someone who's just jumped in and said, you know what, if I'm yeah. going to do this, I'm going to be the guy that does, you know? I'm gonna be I've always guy. been the jump-in first guy. Yeah. Uh, there's a number of reasons why. My dad taught me an amazing work ethic. He never took one day off in his life. Now, he had five kids he was bringing up on his own. So, you know, if anyone deserved a day off, yeah. it was my old man. <laughs> he never did. He just had that, just keep going, working, yeah. work hard. I mean, old school. Like, yeah. if you've got a headache, there was no, like, take a headache tablet. It's yeah. like, well, why have you got a headache? Get a bit early, you know, it's yeah. whatever. So I learned that from him. Also, I think as a kid, being the youngest, you're terrified of missing out on things. Like the whole, your whole life feels like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that, while my brothers are doing for another two years, which is an eternity. So I always wanted to do stuff and not be left out. And I was quite a fearful kid, which I hated. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of heights. I was... There was a period of time my mum had left. I was always the first one home. I would not even go into the house until someone else came home. So I would sit out on the stoop, right? You know, and I, I hated it. So I've always had this fear of fear. And if, like a drama school, you know, it's sort of, it's a weird thing to think back now, but it's a pressure kind of situation. People get kicked out of drama school. You're constantly being judged how you're doing. Are you progressing? Are you not? And how you look, I guess, and all that stuff, right? That, not so much. Right. Not a drama school. Not a mine, anyway. But you were constantly being judged. So there were almost every day, all right, let's get up and do this monologue, sing this song, do it in front of everybody. I noticed I was always first. I never wanted to sit there waiting for, and, and I would see some people, they were like, mm, don't pick me first, don't put my, you know, I want to see five, six other people. And I'm not saying that out of courage, it was more like, I hate this feeling, man, fuck it, I'm getting up. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to do it, you know? And, and so I remember one of, the, one of the girls in class said to me, after about a year and a half, I remember Jeanette, she said, you always get up first. Like, you know, why don't you let other people get up? I said, anyone can get up. I said, I said, if you want to get up, you put your hand up. I've got no problem. I said, but I'm not going to wait five seconds. I said, because I just want to do stuff. So, and I remember hanging back for a little while. I said, like, all right. So I'd wait five seconds, I'd count to five in my head. All right, all right, I'm up. That's it. It was it was too uncomfortable to sit yeah. stewing over that. So yeah. anyway, I, I don't think I've told anyone else that. It's interesting. When I started acting, uh, I was the dunce of the class. This is I went to two drama schools. I did one for a year. I was definitely, I was way too perky. And hey, everyone else had beaten leather jackets, was smoking in every break, seemed to be way more tortured, they carried their demons on their face, you know, and I was seemed way too, nah, nah. I just didn't fit in. And every time I did something in class, I could see the teachers rolling their eyes. It was, I wasn't sure what it was. 
but I was not cutting it. And I never, it was a very lonely feeling and kind of best thing that could have happened to me because, you know, I saw, have you seen the Brady Six? Yeah. yeah. All right. I watched that the other day and it really gave me an insight. It's almost like I still feel like I'm 191st pick in the draft. Yeah. Probably from that beginning of drum school, that feeling of it. And the way it turned around was I finally stopped caring about what the teachers thought. So I've never forgotten that, but there's always that feeling of like, okay, I've got to work harder than everyone else. It's not like I'm born with, I'm not born Philip Seymour Hoffman. I've got to just work harder. So I'm prepared to do it. That's Hugh Jackman talking about being an insecure young actor. When you see him in Logan, you'll know that he developed into a confident actor working at the top of his game. So interesting for him to have a look back. My thanks to you for coming by. My thanks to Chris Buck, Hugh Jackman. Be sure to come by every single Monday. We put a new show up every single week. You never know who's going to stop by. It might be one of your favorite people. So come on back and visit us as often as you like. You're always welcome. <laughs>